Hi folks, this is Jack Spierka with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Coming to you once again from Arlington, Texas, today with episode 575 of the Survival Podcast. It is Tuesday. It is December 21st, 2010. That means it is officially today the first day of winter. And uh, because of that, we're going to actually talk about spring more than winter today. Uh, more on that in a bit, but what we're actually going to be talking about is setting your homesteading and gardening and, and, and livestock and everything that revolves around turning your home into a homestead planning for 2011. Uh, lots of different real cool stuff and things that will, ma- will be mattering to you uh, no matter how small your homestead is. Whether it's a tenth of an acre in the city or a hundred acres in the country, today's show is going to help you figure out how to get more out of it and evaluate your prior success in 2010. Uh, before we do that, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today, Sawtooth Tactical. Sawtooth Tactical gives you all the things that you need to live that tactical lifestyle. All this stuff, when we talk about prepping, that guys naturally gravitate to with the Tim Taylor R-type thing, Magpaw magazines, uh, Maxpedition bags, Everything in between there. Check out Sawtooth Tactical. Jeff is a great guy. Uh, you also might want to check out his other site. He has more stuff online now at another site called Sawtooth Supply. And if you're an MSB member on that second site, uh, you get a discount of 10% on everything on that site. The only reason he's not doing the discount on the uh, Sawtooth Tactical site right now is he's used a new platform and new shop, shopping cart software, stuff like that on the new site. And he's kind of got to retrofit it before he can do that. But he's going to do uh, discounts for the MSB on both sites eventually. Uh, next up today, KnifeKits.com. KnifeKits.com is cool. Because if you're like me and you don't really know much about knives other than how to sharpen one and how to use one, you can still find everything you need to be able to build your first knife. If you are a master bladesmith that's been working with knives since you were knee-high to a, an ant, and you are building custom top-end professional uh, handmade knives, you can find what you need as well. So from the novice to the professional, knife kits will give you what you need. To give you an idea, you can get a kit there that's almost like a snap-together model kit when you were a kid, you know, the ones you just kind of snapped everything together. You can also get raw materials for building those custom knives, things ex- that are really exotic like mammoth tusk. Yes, you can get mammoth tusk material for your knife handles at uh, knifekits.com. That's pretty cool. Uh, next, I want to remind you guys about uh, checking out our gear shop. And the AOCS Copper Rounds, those things have done really well. We've sold over, I think, 6,000 of them now. And there's only 10,000 in the first run. And I know 4,000 seems like a lot more to go. You may really want to consider ordering yours now. Um, they're not going to ship until maybe second week of January is what it's looking like now. And we might. I mean, it's, a, it's an off chance, but we might sell them all before we get them in our hands. Um, that would be a great success for the store, but I would absolutely kind of be disappointed Um, because then we're not going to have any in stock until we get through another run. And that's not really what I wanted out of this. Uh, I thought when we did an initial run of 10,000, I was taking a big uh, risk, you know. And uh, you guys just seem to really like them. Also, big news on that. Uh, the run has started. I got pictures of the first strike coins yesterday from Rob. I'll get those on the blog today for you guys and on Facebook today so you guys can take a look at the first strikes uh, of the uh, AOCS Copper Rounds, and they are just absolutely awesome looking. Uh, next, remember, uh, join the MSB. You get exclusive content available only to members. You get about 20 videos that are available nowhere else, and MSB, of course, is the Member Support Brigade. Uh, you, what you're really doing is supporting this show. And it's 50 bucks a year to do that. And that comes out to 20 cents an episode, because I get on this microphone almost every day out of the year and do a show. Uh, Monday through Friday, anyway. So if you get off the air with me and you think, man, that was worth two dimes, consider joining the MSB. But I am running a Christmas special, because it's Christmas time. And everybody does it, so why not me too? First year of the MSB between now and midnight Christmas Central Time, midnight Christmas Central Time from now till then, use code word CHRISTMAS, Get your first year for 30 bucks, and as I said yesterday, you can use, you can pay by check and use the form that you download. Uh, you can also pay with silver. I'll take one ounce of any form of silver during this sale as well, and I'll take uh, what comes out to basically a dollar 
and twenty five cents in uh, pre sixty four silver U S coinage as well. Uh, so any of those methods will work for that. Um, last but not least, uh, I want to let you guys know that I got some pretty cool pictures last night uh, of the eclipse. Last night there was a lunar eclipse, and since it happened in the morning, it happened in the a.m., it was officially the solstice, because it was the 21st, and we had, for the first time in a long time, um, the winter solstice, a lunar eclipse, and a full moon all on the same day. Last time that happened... Maybe I get this wrong, but I think I, re I can remember it right from reading it yesterday. 1638. So you don't have to wait another 400-odd years for uh, for another lunar eclipse. But for one to happen on the solstice, we will. Uh, they'll pretty much look the same. Uh, but I got some cool pictures. I'm going to put those up. But the reason I talk about that is because it has an awful lot to do with what today's show's about. You know, I was thinking, what can I do today? What can I do to give you guys a show that's kind of fresh and some new material and some new ideas and some things that you can uh, you can incorporate and use right away. And I was thinking about the fact that it's winter. So I was going to do a show today on, you know, uh, keeping warm in the winter and all the emergency things you need to do to deal with cold. And we'll probably do that in January when we come back around. It's an important subject. We haven't talked about it in a long time. Uh, but I also thought about it this way. This is the first day of winter. And what that really means is not that it's cold where you are. If you're where I'm at, it's actually unseasonably warm here. Winter is not just a function of the temperature. It's a function of daylight. And on the 21st, we have the longest night and therefore the shortest day of the year. Uh, this is the day that darkness in mythology fully overcomes the light. But tomorrow is the beginning of a point where light begins to take back over from the darkness. And that's kind of cool. And I thought a great thing to do with this day would be to talk not about the three months of winter and how to deal with them, but let's talk about the three months of winter and how to use them as each day our day becomes a little bit longer as we get ready for spring. Because here's the truth, guys. It might seem like a long way till spring for you, but spring's going to be here like that. Just like I told you a few months ago, when it was the weather was starting to turn, it was just going into fall, the leaves are just barely starting to turn, still really warm out in most of the United States, that winter would be here like that. Son of a gun, here it is. So since that's going to happen, since time marches on, whether we're prepared for it or not, It makes a lot of sense to use times like winter because they're kind of a downtime. They're kind of a slower time. You know, right now we're going to go through the holidays and you're going to have family coming in or you're going to be going somewhere. You're going to be dealing with friends and everything seems so frantic. And then you have the New Year holiday. For some people, that's a big deal. For me, it's not really a big deal other than setting some, some goals for the next year. But once that ends and we go into January, you got January and February. It's cold. You know, it gets colder. Even though this is the longest night today, the coldest days are ahead. There's not a lot going on. There's not a lot. I mean, nobody really gets a big wad in their butt about President's Day or anything like that. So for the next few months, we have this kind of slow, dark, cold period. And that gives us an opportunity to pause. And as we pause, we can plan for the future. And prepping is all about planning. So let's talk today what we can do and how we can plan for the best year ever in 2011, no matter how tough times get, or, you know, even if they don't. And to me, this is one of the great things about being a prepper um, and being a survivalist. I talk to people all the time, and they're like, oh, you're a survivalist, and you do a show on survival, oh, you must be all doom and gloom. And I'm like, no, man, I'm the most optimistic person you'll ever meet. Because I have a reason to be optimistic, I'm aware of the threats that are out there. I'm aware of all the things that we have to deal with, but I also know that I'm prepared to deal with them. If anybody should be pessimistic and unhappy, it should be the average sheep. And the, one of the things that we do that makes us optimistic is not just looking to the future and being prepared for it, but looking to the past. Looking to the past and saying, well, what's worked before? What's, what's not worked before? And how do we learn those lessons of history? Uh, you know, we might be scholarly looking at history once in a while, going back a few hundred or a few thousand years, 
You know, what did colonial America do? What did the founders do? What was it like for them? What was the little ice age like? What was it like to be a Roman centurion? There's all kinds of history we can look at. But the most valuable history that we'll ever look at is our own history. And in fact, our own recent history, our last year or two. And do you realize that most Americans today don't even look back six months? You know, they look back when they look at pictures of the kids growing up or something like that, but they don't, they don't really evaluate how well have I done. And I don't know if it's because most of them just think, don't think they've done well enough, or if so, they're so busy living in a fantasy world. But for us, we need to look back, and we need to say, what have I done right, and what have I done wrong? And so I think the first step, as we get ready to plan 2011, is to look at 2010. And with today's show in mind, I'm talking about, you know, not everything, you know, this, today's show is not about debt or investing or money. It's about homesteading. It's about turning your home into a homestead. Whether, again, it's a tenth of an acre in the city or a hundred acres in the country, it doesn't matter. That's what it's all about. So we have to look and say, well, what went right and what went wrong for us this year? Now, I'm kind of in a unique situation because next year I won't be here. Uh, we are going to have, our son is moving out in around January 12th, I think is the day he's got his, his lease set for. And uh, we're gonna, I think we're going to go to the SHOT Show this year. And we're going to come back and we're going to gut this place. And we're going to get up to, uh, to Arkansas with as much of it as we can. And as soon as we get it damn near empty, we're going to bring some people into carpet and paint and do some cleaning for us and prep it and get it ready for, you know, exhibition. And by February, this thing's going to be on the market and we won't even be living here. And with that in mind, you know, it's, it's a little bit different, but there's still things that I've learned that I'll be taking with me. Um, but some things I might give another try. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about, why I kind of lost track there for a second. I pretty much quit on tomatoes in this backyard. I don't know if, you know, there's a hex on it or what it is, but no matter what I do, no matter how clean I keep my, my plants, no matter how dry, no matter what I try, no matter what I do, uh, any tomato in this backyard succumbs to blight. I also learned something, though, last year when I said, well, you know what, tomatoes are so easy to buy from local farmers and local farmers markets, and they're the easiest thing in the world to find organic. They're the, actually the thing that I need to produce for myself the least, other than I like them and I can produce lots of them and make sauces and salsas and stuff like that. So with that being the case, what could I grow that's kind of like a tomato that might be immune to this? So I tried two things this year. I tried... Um, Tomatillos, and I tried ground cherries. And neither one actually tastes like a tomato, but they serve kind of similar roles. And here's what I learned. Neither one of them seemed to give a damn about tomato blight. They seem completely immune to it. My tomatillos this year were so big, I literally had to take a machete and hack through a tomatillo jungle because they had grown through the trellis and overtaken one of the other beds. I couldn't get between the garden beds. And the ground cherries weren't far off of that either. Uh, I planted the ground cherries too densely this year, so I've learned that. So these are some things I've learned. My question is, what have you learned? What did, what did you do this year that worked and what didn't work? You know, I had success and failure with corn growing this year. I'll have a lot more space to work with next year, but my ground will be brand new ground. It won't have a lot of, uh, won't have a lot of improvements yet. I'll be bringing in some topsoil and bringing in some uh, compost, uh, but I have a long way to go. So next year's not going to be a corn year for me. Because I've learned that if it was hard to do here, even with greater space, until I improve the ground, it's just not going to be worth doing. Uh, there's a lot of things that we did this year that, that worked out really well. Uh, we tried a lot of different new herbs, and all of them seemed to do very well. Uh, I've, I've, I've really fine-tuned what we're doing on a small scale, so I'm ready to take it to a big scale. It doesn't really matter if that's what you're doing or not. All it matters is, can you sit back this next week or two? And kick back and just absolutely say, this didn't work, and figure out why it didn't work. And then decide, does it make sense to keep pushing this this thing, to try to refine it and to make it work, or do I just try something different? Or have I already tried something different that I know is a better replacement? Uh, the other thing I think you need to really do is look at what you want to add in 2011. What, what do you really think would be a good next thing to bring in, whether it's you know herbs to the herb garden, whether it's livestock, whether it's, I don't care what it is, what do you want to add? And I think that we need to be very careful when we start to go into that planning process, because here's the reality, whatever it is, no matter what it is, it's easier in your head 
than it is in real life. I don't care if it's I'm going to go get two great big flower pots, fill them up with dirt, and plant them with a couple things. That's really easy to do. That's one of the easiest little projects you could have. I'm going to build two great big flower pot herb gardens, you know, with two different mixes of herbs this year. Easy. Really easy. My point, much easier for me to say it and think it than to do it, even though it's easy. So when you start adding some of the things you're going to hear that I have planned for 2011, you start to realize that you can become overwhelmed. And you can plan too much. So we have to look at this with a sense of priority in addition to desire. So what do we want most? What's going to give us the most? And then we have to prioritize based on those two things. There are a lot of things that are going to give us very little maybe in their first year, but they might be high priorities because they're long-term uh, production systems. For, so uh, in other words, putting in something like an orchard, small orchard, whether it's a little mini orchard in your backyard with dwarf trees or whether it's semi-dwarfs or even full-size trees uh, on, on a, maybe a half acre of ground and anything in between there. Your first year, after you put an orchard in, you don't get anything except a sore back from digging holes and a lot of work to get those trees established for the first and second year so that those roots, roots are deep enough that they don't call, you know, require constant irrigation. So if you look at it purely from what do I get out of it this year, its priority goes way down. But if I look at it from the priority of what will produce the most for me the longest, its priority starts to come way back up. So we need to look at things like that as well. We also, with our planning, we need to really start right now looking at what's our average last frost date. I mean, we're about to go into a time where, you know, a lot of us are going to be shoveling snow. And for those of you that don't think I have to do that here in Texas, last year, one storm, we got 11 inches. Now, that was rare. It doesn't happen often. But I have a feeling I might see a little bit more snow up in the Washita Mountains than I do here on the North Texas Plains. So it, it's really easy with all this cold, with all this frigid weather on its way, to sit back and just feel like, you know, planning, planting, you know, tomatoes and peppers and, and all that stuff, all those warm weather plants, that's not even worth thinking about now. But here's the way this works. Most plants that you're going to put out Uh, like a tomato or a pepper or something, you're going to want to start anywhere between six to ten weeks prior to your average last frost date, six to ten weeks. So let's say that your average last frost date is April 1st. Well, ten weeks prior, take away March and February. You're looking at January 31 or somewhere thereabouts, early February, late January, needing to plant your seeds. Now that even seems like a long way off. But is it really? Today's December 21st. This week, what's left of it will be a blur. You're not going to do anything at work. You know that. I know that. Your boss knows that. Unless there's like something you're trying to put to bed right before the holiday. But especially if you're in sales or something like that, your customers aren't going to do anything. We should just, honestly, we should shut down corporate America from about the 22nd through the, through the 1st. They should just close. Uh, we won't, but we should. Because nobody's productive unless you're in retail. So that, that whole period, the next 10 days, is just going to just blur by. Then you've got, you know, you get back to work, you get back in the swing of things, and you get your first week under your belt with whatever you do, whether it's your business like me or your job or what have you. Then you got a couple weeks where you're back in the swing, and maybe one more week, and now you're planting. It's going to go like that. It's time to think now. Like, let's say you want to order seeds. You want to try different varieties of seeds and all. You need to be right now going through your seed catalogs, picking out what you want, and ordering them now. Because if you wait till January 30th to order them, they're going to ship. You're going to get them in about a week. Now you're into February. Are you prepared to plant them the day they, they show up? And it depends again. When's your, now, some of you guys, you're going to be doing your planning in the middle of February. Some of them are going to be like the third week. It's all about counting backwards, but you got to know that day. Because no matter how far ahead that day is, the less you pay attention to it, the more likely it is that it's going to come and pass, and you're not going to have got started. And nature doesn't wait for us, folks. That's one thing as homesteaders, as gardeners, um, and anything that involves natural processes, fishing, hunting, gathering, foraging, all of these things. 
Nature marches on steadily, dependably, and on a schedule. That's why we have things like calendars, and day, and night, and time. Because nature obeys those laws. And if we ignore it, it doesn't care. It just keeps going, and we start to lose opportunities. Now is the time to get the plan in place so that when the opportunities present themselves, we can take advantage of the opportunities. Do you see how, or maybe why, I'm so big on gardening and homesteading? Because it is a, a microcosm of prepping as a whole. That's how prepping as a whole works. I don't care if it's self-defense. I don't care if it's investing. I don't care if it's staying out of debt. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's storing food. No matter what it is, it pretty much works this way. You take the opportunity by planning so that you create an opportunity so you could act. And when you take the action, you put a plan in place. And on the other side of that lies preparedness. Well, that's how gardening works. And if you don't act... Time just keeps moving along. And you either go on a sliding scale where you become more independent or more dependent. And that's really what this is all about. Everything that I do is really all about, see, no matter whether you're paying attention or not, you're on that sliding scale. And there's millions of our fellow Americans that are walking further and further into dependency every day, completely unaware. Being aware, though, doesn't stop the slide. You're either sliding toward, again, you're sliding and gravitating toward the independent side, or you're sliding and gravitating toward the dependent side. It's only action that makes the difference, and action only is effective if it's planned and carried out with a sense of purpose. So we can't just go out and buy a bunch of survival supplies, throw them in the closet, and say, done. And the same thing with gardening, and the same thing with homesteading. We can't just go buy a bunch of stuff, shove it in the ground, and hope for the best. If we do that, what we're going to end up with is a whole lot of nothing. And on the planning thing, I'm going to tell you that I have worked really hard over the years with starting seeds and seedlings. And I have never had as much success as I did last year, not this year. Because last year, uh, my, my, uh, toward the end of the spring, my greenhouse was destroyed by a really bad storm. Uh, we didn't have tornadoes here directly, but there were tornadoes in some surrounding areas very close to us. We had straight line winds in excess of 90 miles an hour, and it destroyed my uh, my spring house greenhouse. And I decided since we were a year away from leaving, it wasn't worth building a permanent one, and I didn't want a temporary one again. So I didn't have one this year, and I had to make do without it, and I did okay. But if you're serious about your gardening long term, it is time for you right now to plan out and build a cold frame or a greenhouse or both, Uh, and, and possibly consider using a uh, hot frame technology as well. What a hot frame is, is basically take a cold frame, uh, and a cold frame is basically a box with a window. Let's make it as simple as possible. I'll put some links to some plans for cold frame building today online. But, you know, here's the thing about a cold frame. All day when the sun's on it, if it's really cold out, you can keep it all the way closed down, and it keeps your plants warm and a higher CO2 content, and you get a much better, more, um, uh, more sturdy growing young plant. And if it's, uh, if it's too hot, because you get a really warm day, you can prop it open and vent it. But at night, it doesn't really keep anything warm. And neither does a greenhouse, per se, in of itself. You have to have some type of heating source. So if you put a layer of, of active compost on the floor of a cold frame, it becomes basically a hot frame. And the heat of that compost will actually keep the plants from freezing at night. And there's, there's other things you can do. You can put a light bulb in a cold frame in a relatively small space and keep temperatures above freezing as a heating element. Maybe two light bulbs, one on each side, depending on the size of it. With a greenhouse, you could do things with heat. So, uh, but you're just not going to get that really aggressive, deep root system, happy plant to put into the ground with grow lights and things like that. They're fine for starting seeds. But at some point, you got to get the seeds out into real sunlight if you want to get really effective, really happy plants. And even if you do them with grow lights and you get them fairly well along the way, a week or so before they go in the garden, you want to put them into that cold frame and start hardening them off if you really want to get the best transplant effect out of your seedlings. So I really think this is a good time for you, if you don't have one yet, to get on that cold frame or get on that greenhouse or maybe both of them. Also ask yourself, is 2011 the year that I add some livestock? You know, is this a, is this the year that I go ahead and take things to another level instead of just growing 
my vegetables, I also start growing some animals. And the thing about livestock is it's it's a pretty big term. I think people, when you first hear it, you generally think cows, you know, pigs, maybe sheep, goats. But, you know, in the prepper community, we realize it also includes small things like ducks and chickens. Uh, but you also have to realize, I mean, you would also really consider bees a form of livestock, I think, small stock. Bees are almost completely self, you know, self-policing. They kind of really take care of themselves. Um, they're a great asset. They do a lot for you from a standpoint of pollination, and they produce honey, obviously. Now, if you want to actually be, you know, a large-scale keeper and do commercial honey, even small-scale commercial honey, you need quite a few colonies. But one or two colonies for the average person in their backyard will produce quite a bit of honey for you. Maybe not a tremendous amount, especially in your first year, but with the right forage around you and all, you can do fairly well with a couple of colonies of bees. Um, Nick over at SaveOurSkills.com just did an interview with the Barefoot Beekeeper on Top Bar Beehive Keeping, so that might be a good thing for you to listen to next week, because remember, I'm shutting the show down between Christmas and New Year's, taking that week off, kind of re-energizing, so that, uh, that podcast is actually really awesome. Uh, you also have to start looking at things like making some decisions. If you're going to keep bees in 2011, do you realize you need to be ordering your, your, your bees now? If you're going to order bees? Uh, right now, most of the, most of the providers are taking orders for 2011 right now this second. And it won't be very far into 2011 where they'll be sold out. You can only make so many, you know, new colonies of bees every year. It's not a simple matter. It's not like, you know, it's not like chickens. You can make, baby chickens almost all year long. Uh, bees are a little bit more complex, so, you know, if you're going to do bees, you got to get serious now, or it's a 2012 thing. And, and I hate to kind of put it that way, but it really is. If it's been like, something I'm going to do, I'm going to do, I'm going to do, you know, now's the find a, time to find a mentor, budget your, your startup costs, uh, build your top bar hive, or, or get your, your typical, you know, I can't remember what they call them now, your, your normal square hive, and, and, and get on get on with it. If you don't, you're going to have a nice, pretty beehive sitting in your backyard waiting another year because you're not going to be able to get any bees. And that happens relatively early, and there's a renewed interest in beekeeping, and that's great, but there's also a reduced supply due to colony collapse disorder and things like that, so it's time to really think about that. On other livestock, I mean, if you're going to do chickens, uh, you know, the, the most availability of chicks is going to be in a few months. You know, a few months from now, early spring, there's going to be everything under the sun available. So now's the time to build the hen house, plan it out. How are the how are the birds going to be allowed in and out of, of the, the house? Are, how are you going to contain them? How much containment are they going to need? What type of protection are you going to bring in for them? The same thing with ducks and any other type of livestock. So it really is a good time to evaluate, you know, if you're going to bring livestock in, what are their needs going to be? and get their needs in place in advance of bringing the stock in. The next thing is, um, you, this is a great time for relaxation as well. I don't want to make this too much about, you got to do it, you got to do it, you got to do it. And I don't know about you, but for me, one of the most relaxing things I can do on a cold winter's day is my son has this chair that we bought him for video game playing, a little recliner type thing. Is bring that downstairs, put it in front of the fireplace, get a big fire going, get a steaming hot cup of coffee or hot chocolate or whatever, depending on the time of day, or tea, if it's past a certain time of day where I don't want to be too awake, and get a big stack of seed catalogs and orchard catalogs and just start going through them and start realizing how much is really available and evaluating all these different varieties and deciding whether or not it makes sense to add something this year. And start making that plan for what to order. But to me, it's more because I'll, you know, I'll look at a hundred things and order ten. There's a tremendous amount of knowledge that you can gain from something as simple as a seed catalog. Um, it, it's actually fascinating to me to sit down and go through them and to read, especially when we look at things like some of the good ones: um, High Mowing Organic, Seed Savers Exchange, Baker Creek. Uh, these, these, you know, these companies that do these older varieties of seeds that have a story with them, where they came from. If they were initially were a high, a lot of the, the heirlooms folks, remember, hybrid's not evil in of itself. There are certain 
seeds that are now heirloom and they reproduce and they're, they're they, you know, true to, true to form generation after generation that started out as a hybrid variety. Uh, mortgage lifter tomato is a perfect example. It was two varieties of tomato and the guy put them together. It worked out and they reproduced well. And uh, the story behind that one, it was in the 30s during the Depression and he started selling them for a dollar a plant because they were a brand new tomato nobody could get anywhere else. And he ended up paying off his mortgage by selling tomato plants. So it's interesting to learn things like that, but it's also interesting to look at, you know, where where do these varieties come from? Where do they do well? Where do they do poorly? So with the show, I might learn about certain varieties that do well in New England and the Northeast. And that's great for you guys, and I can tell you about it. But I also know that no matter how pretty that picture is, it's not something I need to be growing down here in the Deep South. It just doesn't make sense. It's too hot. The, the, the growing conditions are different. It's drier, it's hotter, uh, all of those things add up. And you don't know that if you don't take time to do it. But this is a great time. If you don't receive a lot of these seed catalogs, I'll put a link uh, to a couple forum posts where I have, it's like tw- over 20 different seed catalogs and like 12 different catalogs that are more like orchard permaculture catalogs, uh, things like that. Rain Tree Nursery is absolutely probably my favorite catalog in the world to go through. I can probably tell you everything they sell. I can tell you everything there is to know about every variety of plant that they have, and I will still sit down once in a while, and I will page through that catalog from front to back. How do you think I know all the information about what's in there? And I also, every year when they come, I'm going, you got anything new? You got, and I'll go through it. Like, that's the same, that's the same, that's the same. Oh, there's something new. And then I add a piece of knowledge. And I actually don't order a lot from Rain Tree. I've heard good and bad on people that have ordered Sometimes, to me, these catalogs are more about the value of the knowledge in them and the creativity they spawn in our minds. All of a sudden, you realize, hey, wait, I could grow figs here. And, or you say, I'd like to grow figs. I can't. And then you take the knowledge that there are figs that can sort of grow okay in your area, and you go out and you watch a video like this guy up in the mountains in, uh, in I think it's Italy or Ger- Germany, and, and growing lemons um, you know, at over a mile in elevation. And you start to realize, hey, you know, maybe if I just did certain things, like if I created a rock outcropping, and I put that on a south-facing uh, slope, and I put my figs there, and they were able to retain the heat from those rocks, I could extend my growing season, and since they'll, even if they freeze, they freeze at the ground and grow back every year, and they'll produce every year, I can grow figs. And as crazy as it sounds, something like that starts with paging through a catalog, and realizing that there's an option to do it in the first place. And I guess my point is that the thing about knowledge is no matter how simple something really is, if you don't know about it, it literally doesn't exist for you. I think that's part of why people tune into this show all the time is because if you listen for an hour and you get some entertainment and hopefully a laugh once in a while and a little bit of inspiration, that's great. But if every day you come apart, come away with one or two things you didn't know, it's probably an hour well spent because now those two things actually exist in your universe. And it would be like if you were born in like this isolated village and, and, and you came to a place and, you, and you'd never seen any kind of modern technology at all, not even anything as simple as a hammer and a nail. And you came to a place where there were boards and they were put together with these things that are called nails and you didn't know what they were. But but you looked at it and went, oh, this is great. This is a construction method. The human engineering mind says to itself, wow, I understand this. You could, If you had a supply of nails and boards, you could start building all kinds of things. But you would be trying to cut the board with a sharpened rock. So you would be hewing and hacking at it like our ancestors did. And you would be pounding the nails with another flat rock. In your world, there would be no such thing as a hammer and a saw. As soon, even if you didn't, if I didn't give you one, if I gave you the knowledge of their existence and what they looked like and how they functioned, well, now you can start engineering with what you have a rock fixed to a stick that looks like a tomahawk, but the rock is designed to be more of a hammer. And flint embedded into a board to create the first formations of the saw. But until you either conceive of these things for yourself, or have someone reveal to you their existence, they literally do not exist in your world. And when we start to 
amass knowledge. In many instances, what we do is we simply become aware that something exists. And once we know it exists, we can add that to our capabilities and to our planning. I know that maybe seem kind of deep, but it really is the way things work. And it's why knowledge is so important. Now, I'm the first to say knowledge without application equals nothing. But you got to have the knowledge for the application to matter. Or what happens is you work and you work and you work, and you just don't get the results you're looking for, and you get frustrated and angry. And that's not what this is supposed to be all about. This is supposed to be about you will, we will have failures, and we will have successes. But overall, prepping, and especially the homesteading portion of prepping, should be enjoyable. It should add to your life. It should make your life better. That's the whole point. So make sure that you're taking advantage of things like the catalogs. They're free. Get every single one you can. If, if you don't like one, you know, don't ever request it again. If you don't order for a while, they'll stop sending them. They usually send them once a year anyway. Um, but you know, you, you don't know what you don't know, I guess is the short version of that. It's also a good time to start evaluating your goals for 2011. You really have to start... Take the time over the next week or two and write down all your goals. And, and I mean all your goals. The debt-free stuff, all of that stuff. We'll do, we'll do a, you know, a, what do you call it? A, uh, a New Year's resolution show probably around the, the 2nd of January or something like that or 3rd of January, however that works out. 4th of January. That first week we're back. And, and write those all down, but kind of categorize them. And when it comes to your homesteading goals, they really kind of go off on their own little place. Because they're, they're, there's nothing etherical about them. They're concrete goals. I'm going to put in a new bed. I'm going to add a greenhouse. I'm going to add chickens. And unless you put them all in one place, if they're just in your head, they're so frazzled you'll never prioritize them. And so the next step, once you have the goals down, is to set realistic timelines and priorities. How long will this take? What will I get out of it this year? What will I get out of it long term? And how do I prioritize? What comes first? And part of prioritizing is a temporal-based thing as well. So, obviously, getting my seedlings started is a high priority in the early, you know, late winter period because they have to be done or it's not going to work. Where something like planting an orchard, even though it might be a very high priority for the year, I absolutely want X number of trees planted in this space and irrigation and what have you done in 2011 Their priority might get set further out because you can plant trees anytime. You can put irrigation in anytime. So it's about the evaluation of your desire, the production, and the temporal effect. What, what time-based things require the, you know, which one of these things have temporal effects if they're going to get done at all this year? Because once I've lost the window of opportunity, it's gone. And what I'd like to kind of do is give you some of my goals to give you an idea how freaking busy I'm going to be in 2011. I mean, my first goal in 2011 is obviously to sell this house and get out of here. I mean, there is nothing else that can really get traction under it until all the stuff that's here is moved up there. And, it, and, and then at some levels, until someone else is responsible for this place and I'm not anymore. Until this house is someone else's problem. I'm going to be tied here. So that's one of my big goals. And probably one of the toughest things I have to accomplish this year is getting this house to present well. It should present fairly well, but get it really to present well, to present as good as anything in its price range on the market and gone. That doesn't sound like a homesteading goal, but if I don't get that done, a lot of other things become quite difficult. Um, I'm moving to a new place. I, I've been spoiled. I've been here five years, actually six years now, six years. Um, I've been gardening for five of them, full full bore gardening for five of them. I have garden beds now, in spite of the fact that I have you know black gumbo clay soil that I can stick my hand into up to my elbow without turning the soil. It's black, it's rich, it's loamy, it's gorgeous. It's somebody else's. I have to start with rocky, silica-based, sandy soil on five acres of rugged mountain land that doesn't have the best solar layout. That's what I have. I have to work with. So one of my big goals as soon as we move is to start, actually, you know, we've kind of already started this, but to continue putting in more and more beds. And we're going to be doing them mostly with rocks surrounding them and building them up a few inches 
so that we can have some good soil to grow in right away and so that we can start cultivating the lower levels of soil, putting in things that are deep mining plants. We're going to be putting in a lot of comfrey and docks and uh, dachyon and uh, cowpea and anything else that will nitrify or break the soil up. I'll be doing a ton of growing this year that's not going to produce anything for me. I'll do some. I'll get some production this year, but I, I may get less full production this year than I got last year, even with a lot more space, because I'm starting from square one. And I, I reveal that to you guys for a couple things. One, it's going to be a great opportunity for video. I'm going to be able to do so much video for you guys next year, because there's so many things we're starting from the beginning. And uh, we're going to have so much more free time, because my wife's going to be around to help me. That's going to be huge, too. But I also say it so that you'll feel encouraged if you're new to the show and thinking, man, all this stuff seems overwhelming. Folks, I'm overwhelmed. I gotta, I gotta take all of this stuff that I've already done and redo it. Do it bigger and better. And that was all part of the plan, but it's still overwhelming. So don't feel overwhelmed. Just realize everybody goes through it. So garden beds are huge for me. Irrigation systems. One thing I learned this year is that the more you can do to automate irrigation, the better. There were so many times that we went away that I had to pay somebody this year to come take care of my garden that the garden ended up being a kind of a break-even instead of a profit, if I really look at it financially. even with I mean, we got, we got massive production this year. But that's what happened because you had to pay a kid. You don't want to you know, take advantage of the neighbor kid. So you give him five bucks a day, you're gone for ten days. There's 50 bucks gone. And I think we actually did a little bit better than that because uh, she was going off to college and we wanted to help her out. Well, automation takes care of a lot of that. And I have... You know, a disadvantage and an advantage on the new property. Almost none of the ground is perfectly level. That means there's slope. The well is actually on a fairly high portion of the ground, so there's a lot that can be done using the well and water reserve systems to use the slope itself for irrigation. And you use some automated valves, a little bit of solar technology. So along with the beds, as beds go in, irrigation systems are going in right behind them. And I don't care if there's pipe laying on top of the ground and I gotta come back and bury it. It's going in and it's going in as a priority one. Because if you have the irrigation taken care of, especially if you can do it on some automated level, even if there's some manual portions of it where some valves have to be turned and you later automate those, it's huge. Not dragging a hose around and things like that. So new beds, uh, improving the ones that we already started working on and irrigation, Huge, huge goals for us next year. We're going to develop extensive herb gardens. Little clumps everywhere, again, with irrigation of different varieties of herbs. One of our big goals is to have a basically a pharmacy, um, a culinary, and, and a, a, you know, basically, um, what am I looking for? Kind of like a, an olfactory, uh, all-you-can-eat sitting out in our backyard. We want to be able to do everything from make a soothing herbal tea to a salve for an infection to just have great herbs to cook with. And we want that all in our backyard. So we will be establishing different clumps throughout the entire property because it's going to serve double duty. It's going to be predator habitat as well. Herbs are great predator habitat. They're great for attracting pollinators, holding pollinators in an area. So it's going to serve that effect. But we really want to be able to walk through our yard, and and have over a hundred varieties of usable herbs to know each one of them, what they do, how they work, what you can do with, you know, what you can use them to treat, how you can cook with them, uh, to have basically, again, an herbal pharmacy and an herbal culinary um, you know, shopping mart in our front yard. And that's something that we feel because herbs are uh, a little easier to grow than a lot of vegetables. They could be grown in smaller, uh, rockier, drier areas that we can get really far in 2011 with our herbs and begin to cultivate the beds and really do a lot of work to improve the beds. And we'll get some stuff, you know. We'll grow some things. We'll grow some tomatillos and stuff like that that are really hardy. But our hope is that by the end of 2011, as we go into 2012, to have everything laid out in a beautiful design where then we can go full tilt more with our production, and to do a lot of production long-term with perennials, a lot of fruit, nuts, berries, grapes, things like that, 
because most of my gardening in the future, believe it or not, is going to be done using screen houses or greenhouses with aquaponics. Because that's one of our next goals. Uh, we want to develop a, a greenhouse aquaponics system, and we want it built and operational by the end of the year. Now, whether that means it's going to be June, and I'm dropping fish in it, and we're getting our first you know, tilapia harvest by the end of the year, or whether that means it's the end of the year and it's just now finished, and I'm using it to start seeds and stuff for next year, and uh, it's too cold for tilapia at that point, and maybe I throw a couple trout in there or something, and... Just kind of start to balance the system. I don't know how it's going to work out yet. There's so much stuff we want to do. But, you know, come hell or high water, there'll be a flat spot with a greenhouse with a full bore aquaponics system in it before the end of 2011. That is a drop-dead goal. And the reason it's a drop-dead goal is once in place, it provides a massive source of long-term food for us. Tilapia, we can take a couple adult tilapia and we can breed our own. So we can make that fully sustainable with one great big tank inside the house with a couple of tilapia swimming around in it as our breeders. We can take new fish and replace the breeders as the breeders start to reach excessive age. So fully sustainable from the production of the fish side. It will produce more vegetables with less problems for us than growing our vegetables in a typical garden. That doesn't mean we won't do any vegetable gardening in the dirt, but it frees up the space for things like gooseberries and currants and grapes and apples and pears and you name it. And all the other weird stuff that I've talked about for years and years that's perennial. That once it's established and there's a drip irrigation system, it's there over and over again. So because that system does so much for us, it also does double duty. When I do want to throw some uh, tomatillos, because the tomatillos are too big, really, for me to take up that much space with an aquaponic system and too hardy. So if I want to start those seeds, or I'm going to start ground cherries, I want to start anything, I'm going to grow a lot of wolfberry, uh, which is also known as goji berry. Well, that's really easy to start from seed, but you need a good environment for it. So that greenhouse, coupled with the aquaponic system and a nice shelf facing south for starting seeds, does double duty for me. So that's why it's an absolute drop-dead goal for next year. Um, the next thing we really want to do is develop and clear out our orchard area. Uh, this is going to be something I'm going to actually have to bring in heavy equipment to do. Uh, because of the slope and because of things that I have to deal with, I'm actually going to push some of the, the land back and create a greater leveled terraced area and plan my swales. And what my hope is... Whether I plant or not in 2010 with the trees, is by the end of 20 or 2011. By the end of 2011, I have the area uh, terraced, I have the swales installed, I have the drip irrigation installed, and I'm planting things like winter pea and things to nitrify the soil. Uh, as long as I can get that part of kind of the forest garden portion going, I can then plant, you know, slowly stagger out planting my larger uh, full scale trees. And then that system itself will be inundated going long-term with herbs and things and, and, and all kinds of other plant life. But that's kind of going into 2012. But I want the plan done. I want the, the, the earth moving done. I want the swales installed. And I'd like to get the drip irrigation installed, but that may not happen. The drip irrigation portion may not happen, and it may not be necessary I'm not sure yet. It's going to depend on as we as we figure out how big it's going to be, how it's going to work. There's so much slope to work with that if we do the right swaling, we can take a lot of the runoff off the hardball road that's you know half a mile of road to work with and funnel that water into the swales and do the right rollovers with our water. For those of you who have never heard me talk about uh, permaculture, I just realized I'm using a word you may not be familiar with. A swale is a ditch on contour. Let's say about two and a half, three feet deep, two and a half to three feet wide, um, just a few inches above surface level on the backside with a big pile of loose earth on the front side. And you have at the end of these things what's called a sill. And a sill is a point where that big pile of you know earth dam in front of it is removed, but the sill's perfectly level at about three feet to four feet long. And that perfectly level sill, when the swale is over full, We'll let the water fall flow out without doing any erosion. Go down to the next swale and do it again. And what this does is hydrate the land. So that system, before we start planting a bunch of trees, as much as I want the trees in the ground, that system has to be in place. Because that's the only way we're going to not have to constantly water 
uh, our, our forest garden. That's the only way it's going to establish itself and let nature do the work in kind of the harsh environment that we're in. So that's, that's a, a huge thing for us as well. Um, I also am going to continue to do something I've been doing for several years up there, which is develop our mason bee population. We have a creek that's wet through the spring. There's mud. I have mason bee boxes everywhere down in the valley um, in the little clearing where the sun hits them. I'll be ordering more mason bees uh, to keep upping the population there, uh, planting a lot of forage for them, and uh, they've been doing really well up there. And I probably won't mess with honeybees in, in 2011, and if you've listened to my list so far, you can see why. Not saying what you should do. Again, I'm, trying, I'm just telling you all the stuff we're going to do because it's kind of exciting because you guys are going to do this with us. This is all going to be video. I mean, you're going to learn from it. And hopefully it will inspire you and say, well, he's doing this. I don't have a room for that, but I can do this uh, to take its place. Um, the next thing is we're going to evaluate our small livestock choices. My initial plan was some chickens. And I'm thinking about that now. I'm not sure. Uh, I also, one of my other plans is to put some small ponds in. That's going to be actually relatively easy to do. So that opens up the option of some ducks, especially some ducks that don't need a lot of water, like uh, khaki Campbells or something like that. But I'm also evaluating the livestock overall. Do I really want to do it? And here's why. I do this show, and one of the things that I want to do going forward, 2011, 2012, and onward, is I want to be more available to the audience. So I want to travel. I want to get that RV and hook it up, and I want to cruise up to the Northeast and, and go to Dave uh, Canterbury's uh, get-together in the fall and be an instructor there and meet you guys. And I want to travel out to, to, to Oklahoma. There's a guy I know out there that has kind of a prepper group uh, where it won't be a public appearance, but there's this group that listens to my show, and they do some cool stuff I can't really talk about because it was told to me in confidence, and I want to meet them. And I, I mean, there's places all over this country I want to go and I want to travel and I want to get out there and I want to meet you guys and I got some books coming out uh, they'll actually come out next year um, and, and I want to go out and promote those I want to meet people I want to put together uh, a TSP kind of get together that is is beyond what um, or different than let's say a lot of the other things like what Ron does or Dirt Time does or or Dave does uh, you know these these get-togethers that are real rugged in the wilderness I'm thinking something more a little more family and wife friendly for you guys that you could maybe we could get together at a place where the living conditions are easy and it's more like a real vacation but we could there's so many things I want to do like that and I really need my wife once we get you know past this initial this hill to sit down and help plan these things out but here's the thing that I have to take into account every time we pick up and move and go somewhere and we're gone for a week or two weeks I already have two dogs and two cats to worry about and I got to worry about somebody taking care of my chickens so you probably get a neighbor to do it or something like that but it's it's making me reevaluate what we really want to do for animals and there's some neighbor kids that I could probably hire to do that. and But but I have to take that into consideration. So I'm reevaluating that. I'm not saying yes or no to any of it yet, but I'm just considering it. And I'm also thinking, you know, the aquaponics system, I can set that up basically to run itself. I can set up automatic feeders. I can leave that for 10 days. Uh, redundancy power, backup solar emergency power. And I can leave that system in place and close the doors on it uh, to keep things out of there. And it's good. So a fish is relatively self-sufficient. You know, those of you that keep cats know that cats for a short trip, you know, if you have an outside cat, you put a cat door, and if you have an inside cat, giant bowl of food, giant bowl of water, clean litter box, and the cat doesn't even care that you're gone. Dogs, livestock, when you leave, they're dependent. So those of you that are thinking, I want to, I want four or five hens, you do have to think about what are you going to do when you leave, when you go away for that week vacation. Uh, and how much travel you really do. It's all things that have to be considered. Um, one thing we really need to do is install some fencing, uh, especially for the dogs. It's one to keep things out of the garden areas, but it's another to keep the dogs in. Um, a, lot, a lot of the people up there just let their dogs run, and no one really frowns upon that, and our dogs are pretty friendly, and they get along with the neighbor's dogs okay, but here's the reality. A lot of the neighbors that we've talked to have shockingly lost dogs. You just let your dog run everywhere, they get lost. Uh, a couple of them, we, we think, from what we've heard, have been stolen. We know that at least two dogs up on the place that, that have been hit by cars, uh, which really is troubling because there's not that many people that live up there, except before we put the gate in is when that was a problem, and there were some you know local yahoos up there before the gate went in. But even if the dogs go beyond the gate, so we need a gate to a fence to contain the dogs. 
So that's a high priority. That's a, that's a grade A priority. Now the thing about fencing is it can always be expanded. So we have basically like a small area that we're going to hire somebody just so it's, we can focus on everything else. They'll put the fencing in and that's done. And that's kind of our little back flat area, our little yard, which is basically the length of the house and about 20 feet out. And that'll be at least a place they can go and be unsupervised and I'll have to go out with them at night when they need to pee or something like that. Um, and then we can expand from there. But initial fencing, very high priority for us. And it's, it's something we wouldn't have to do in a suburb because everything's already fenced. Um, we also are going to develop a, a very systematic composting and mulching system. There should be no reason that we ever again buy one bag of mulch. We're surrounded by forest. Trees, sticks, leaves, branches. So we're going to get a, a good quality chipper shredder and have kind of a side-by-side two-system thing in place where one's for composting and one's to keep mulch dry and ready for, for, uh, for sheet mulching. We also want to uh, do more to encourage our local wildlife. Uh, I've done that here. I mean, I say this all the time. They're not out there right now. I keep trying to get you guys a picture, uh, but they get so skittish when there's that many of them in one place. I have doves here in such quantity at times that there's over a 100 of them on the ground in this little area between my deck and the house outside the window. And uh, so, you know, it's easy to encourage wildlife just by providing food and habitat. We've already got the deer feeder up there. We want to do more to, to, to do that. I'm going to be putting in a lot of nesting boxes to encourage the squirrel population and thing like, things like that. And with the larger area and being able to take a shot or two without having the police show up, we'll use the local wildlife as a protein source uh, a lot more than we would here locally, let's say with a pellet gun. Uh, I also want to put a gun range in. Uh, not anything really fancy, maybe 50 yards with a bench for zeroing, testing rounds, uh, chronographing while reloading and stuff like that. So uh, that's just an example here of a lot of the things that I plan on doing. And these are all things, again, that you're going to get to be part of. But the reason I told you that isn't so that you'll go out and make the, the exact same list. I want you to make your own list. And I want you to start thinking, well, yeah, he's doing that. That would be nice. I can't do that. I don't have the room. What can you do? But have a plan. Because there's so much to be done. And here's what it really comes down to. I'm not just doing all this stuff because I think it's fun and I like it and I want to. I'm doing these things. You know, and some of the other things I didn't talk about, like installing solar and wind, that's going to be a 2010, uh, 2011 project as well, is at least getting the initial stuff installed. Uh, installing some outbuildings. Uh, all types of things. I'm doing this for the purpose of self-sufficiency. I'm doing this so that I'm less dependent on the system. I, I realize that you know I'm still young as far as most people are concerned. I'll be 39 next year, for God's sakes. But every time I look in the mirror, there's another gray hair. And while most of America is caught up in nonsense and crap, like the Kardashians and these reality shows and entertainment television and the you know like the, the nighttime gossip magazine crap and thinks that just throwing money into a 401k is going to fix their problems I like many of you am focused on my long term future and I'm trying to do it in a way where it's not about just continuing to buy it a la carte I want you to think about this and this is this is why all this stuff matters this is the typical formula that we're taught to follow in America today Go to school and complete an indoctrination process that basically teaches us to show up on time, keep our mouths shut, not question authority, and be afraid of authority. Get the best job we can at the biggest company we can for the most security we can get, and if we really want security, go to work for the government. Of course, we only do that after we complete an additional educational indoctrination process that costs us tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands of dollars in student loans through what they call college. Then... After we have that good job, start saving most of our money in the most highly visible and highly regulated form known to man, 401ks and IRAs. Now, there's a place for 401ks and IRAs. You hear me talk about them. But if you're putting all your savings there, do you understand that all of your money is subject to government regulation and government visibility? And then through our entire lives, provide our needs, our five survival needs, food, shelter, water, energy, and security. To provide those a la carte. In other words, each week you get a paycheck. And then each week you get some of your bills for the month. And you pay them. You pay the electric bill, you pay the water bill, you pay your rent or your mortgage. 
And we do this over and over and over and over again. And it's insane to buy your needs on an as-needed as basis instead of to provide for your needs on a long-term basis. And then what happens? One day we get really old and we get to retire if we don't die first. We sit down and we do some calculations. I have this much saved. I have this much from Social Security. If that joke's still around by the time we retire, folks. And this is how long I can expect to live. And will my money last my life? And in the end, we end up praying that we die before we run out of money. Because even as a retired person, we're still buying each one of our needs a la carte. When by the time we retire, there's no reason that the average American couldn't have put some level of self-reliance into the system. Half of your energy is better than none. Half of your water is better than none. Half of your security is better than none. Producing a quarter of your food is better than none. And see, there's a magnified effect with the food production. We know our food is garbage in the marketplace. We know it's poison. We know it's full of chemicals. And even if we have to eat some of it, If it's 25% less, it's 25% less expense and 25% less garbage. And that good nutritional food counterbalances some of the negative effects of the poor quality food out of the distribution channel. But most of us will never learn these things because most of us will just follow the system because we don't want to be ostracized. The beauty is you don't have to do that. You now have an opportunity with winter coming. Today is a beautiful, sunny day for me, but I know it's winter. I can feel it. I can look at the animals around me, and I can see that they know it too. And I'm going to have three months of cold, three months of where darkness is longer than light, three months where a lot of the things that I like to do really can't do them. But it's an opportunity to plan, prepare, and get things done so that when we get to that next big, you know, Uh, light versus dark event. We get to the equinox. And there's as much day as there is night. We're ready to go forward. And see, that's how life works. Life works exactly the same way. That's how prepping works. There's always opportunities if we prepare in the times where it seems there's the least of opportunities. That's what winter really is, folks. It's a time of the year when it seems like there's the least to be done when there really is the most to be done. So that when we get those longer days, we get those warmer days, and we get those opportunities to start working more and more on our independence, we're prepared to take action and do just that. And with that, this has been Jack Spirico with another episode of the Survival Podcast. Helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't.
revolution is you.